if you recall, we are dealing here at Sinai with the first generation of Hebrews coming out of Egypt. That first generation, because of their rebellion, they died out. Or God says you're going to stay here until you die out. So the second generation is the one, their kids, okay, their, their descendants, the second generation, they're the ones that would enter the promised land. And they experienced it all. They experienced the plagues in Egypt, the mighty miracles. Can you imagine if you were a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old child at Sinai hearing and seeing God's words? Hearing and seeing the sounds of a shofar? As it says in Exodus 20, verse 18, developing an attitude of fear and awe of God. God wants us to remember all of it. It's a healthy fear to keep us from sin, to keep us from turning from Yahweh. However, we come to Judges chapter 2. And in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, we read this. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not, did not know the Lord. This is the third generation. Nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel, the third generation, did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook, forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them, that means worshipped, thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. This is the third generation. They didn't know the works of the Lord. Why? They didn't know anything that God did to help Israel. You guys... We already have read, or you, God has already presented to the second generation that as parents, they need to obey the Lord and they need to teach their kids. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Moses obviously is receiving this instruction from God to give to the people. And Moses is teaching the people, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. The things that you've seen, the eyes, what, what have you seen? He goes right back to what you saw at Sinai. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God, at Kharib, Mount Sinai, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words and see his words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. 
we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Again, Moses speaking the inspired word of God given to him to teach Israel. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and your days may be prolonged. We go to verse 7, which is part of the Shema, which is a number of verses that the Jewish people recited twice a day in Jesus' day, both in the morning and the afternoon. It starts with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. And verse 7 is one of those verses, part of the Shema, and it says, You shall teach them diligently, your children, to your, teach them. In other words, you're teaching the words, teaching what happened at Sinai, diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, in Deuteronomy 6-7, when it says that teach them diligently, that word with regards to teach them diligently um, is shanan, or really its base word is called shanan. And shanan is a picture. It means to pierce with a sword, to penetrate, to repeat over and over. In other words, take the teaching, repeat it over and over and over again. It's like a sword stabbing at you again and again and again. This is intense. This is not teach them diligently. This is stabbing them with God's word over and over and over again. And it's the parents. It's not Moses that are to teach. And not the priests. They're to teach their kids. It's so awesome to see how important teaching the children and teaching God's word is so important to the Lord. As we just saw in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Not just diligently, but over and over and over again, like stabbing them with a sword. This is intense. Teach God's word. Not only read it, like the one-year Bible. Bless God, there's this one-year Bible, and you can read the whole Bible in one year, given the schedule that they have. That's great. God wants it taught. And read it. So you have a personal reading plan and you have a way of studying the Bible as well. This is true for us. Have a personal reading plan, like the one-year Bible, and to find a Bible study, maybe under a proven teacher. I was amazed. I have taught around the world. I have also taught at many places here in the United States. I remember teaching a class on proving that Jesus is God. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere. Nowhere in the New Testament is there a statement that Jesus is God, using those words. So how do you prove that Jesus is God? Or how do you dispel heresy? Or how do you dispel non-biblical traditions? For instance, Christmas happened December 25th in winter. 
That is a non-biblical tradition. It's not in the Bible. It was made up by men. So you're just reading the Bible, you're reading about Christmas, but you're still stuck in the non-biblical tradition. Or what's the gospel? Just imagine in Jesus' day, they had no New Testament, nothing. What's the gospel? It's not what we think it is. Oh, I understand what we say. The gospel is that Jesus came, died for our sins, and that type of stuff, and you accept him as Lord and Savior, you will be cleansed from your sin, you'll be able to attain life everlasting. That doesn't say that in the Bible. That's part of it. But that's not it. What is the gospel? Or for instance, you're reading the Bible, maybe it's the one-year Bible, and where does it say that abortion is sin? Nowhere. Nowhere anywhere is can you read a phrase that says abortion is sin or premarital sex you need to be taught that and so we need bible study we need yahweh to show us himself that we will fear him that we will be in Are you in a church where there's lots of things to do? A lot of activities? Lots of fellowship? But in all those activities, all those things that are going on, there's no Bible teaching? In other words, there's no activity that's a Bible study? And I'm talking more than just a Sunday message. A Sunday message is 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, maybe an hour. If you allow your pastor to go an hour a week, are you kidding? Look what God said to, to, on the teaching the kids. It's like a sword stabbing over and over and over again. This is intense. And God wants it for us as well. Because we have to teach our children. And guess what, you guys? Our grandchildren. You're a grandpa, you're a grandma. Guess what? It's incumbent upon you, according to God's word, to teach your grandchildren like taking a sword and stabbing them over and over and over again. So it's not just giving a Bible to your grandson and said, read it. No, it's instruction as well. It's teaching. What does it mean? So it's incumbent on us to not only read the Bible, but to study his word. And in the United States, you got, for me, it just doesn't seem to be happening. When we go to Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, it seems like that whole thing is repeating itself. We're in an ungodly country. The United States has turned into a pagan nation here in 2023. God helped the church leaders from ignoring what God wants. It's just like, we'll read it in Deuteronomy later on in this Bible study when we get to the book of Deuteronomy. God commanded his priests, his priests, the tribe of Levi, to teach the people. I mean, not everybody had a Bible. But to teach them, not just read it. And God helped the church leaders from ignoring what God's agenda is. 
from creating study opportunities, Bible classes and Bible training, fellowship activities. You guys, we need them. Yes, I agree. Fun celebrations. Oh, you better believe it. But the Lord's emphasis is read his word, study his word. Back in the lessons at Passover, God was talking to Moses about unleavened bread. And he said, this will be assigned to you. I think it's in Exodus chapter 11? No, Exodus 13. In Exodus 13, you can look it up. God says to Moses that that unleavened bread is going to be a picture to you. A picture like something on your right hand, something you'd wear on your right hand, or as something you'd wear on your forehead. That that unleavened bread represents God's word in your mouth. And so we might say, my goodness, God's written word is the bread of life. Not fellowship activities, not fun activities. To be true disciples of Rabbi Yeshua, Jesus taught the gospel. And we are to be like him. We now come to verse 22 and Exodus chapter 20. And we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Boy, did they see it. I mean, the implication is, when we go back to that word thunderings in verse 18, we're looking at the Hebrew word kolot, which can mean tongues, which can mean languages. Just, just amazing. But here's the point that I want to make here. God is telling Moses that he wants Moses to be his spokesman. Now, a spokesman is the Hebrew word navi. Strong's number is 5030-5030. And navi, for us, normally means prophet. But it really means a spokesman for God. The church today... They take a look at a prophet and they say, that's one who predicts the future. Think about it. You'll hear this over and over and over again. Prophecy, 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 end times, end times, end times. No. This is far away from the true understanding. A Navi, a prophet, is one who proclaims God's word or in some cases, and probably very few cases, will predict the future. If you actually study the prophets... Moses is the greatest, one of the greatest prophets, Isaiah. They don't predict that much. You can go to Deuteronomy 34, verses 10 through 12, and you read that there was no prophet like Moses. None. He hardly predicted, he did a few times, predicted the future. Mostly he proclaimed God's word to Israel that was important at that time. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just start reading there. Moses was sent to teach. Now what's interesting, he was sent to teach. Putting these verses together, Jewish scholars would say, yeah, a prophet, if you want to know who a prophet is, it's a teacher. That That's amazing. Because they are proclaiming God's word. But, Mashiach, Messiah, Jesus, he is a prophet as well. 
go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. And we read, Then the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Raise up a prophet, a Navi. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb, in other words, Mount Sinai, in the day of the, of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. Or you go to Jesus' own words, like in John 17. I'm not going to give you a whole treatment of this, but in John 17, verse 8, Jesus says, for the words which you gave me, he's talking to the Father, you gave me the words I've given to them. And they received them, and they truly understood that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Jesus, in a number of places, says, I've come to teach, you've given me my word. <laughs> that's that's Jesus' own words, the same as Moses. Messiah came to teach, to proclaim, but not always to predict. Moses, there was no other prophet like him. Right, I agree. No other prophet like him. Because Moses was just a man. But Messiah, Jesus, he was the ultimate prophet, the ultimate Navi. He was God and man. It was as if he was supposed to be a spokesman for God and he's God. A spokesman for himself. Amazing. Go back to Deuteronomy 20 and we finish reading the chapter. Verses 22 through 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You have seen that I've spoken from you. Not just heard it, you've seen it. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps of, to my altar, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. So we're done with the Ten Commandments. But we remember those first few verses of Exodus chapter 20. And it seems like God is returning back to those. Remember, I'm God. Brought you out of Egypt. Don't have other gods before me. It's like God is returning to this. And he probably knows that his people are going to want to build an altar and offer their burnt offerings unto the Lord God. Why? Everybody else did. The Canaanites and the Assyrians and the Egyptians, they all had sacrifices. Everyone did it. So God probably said, you're going to probably want to do it anyway. So let me tell you how I want my altar built. Now, this is amazing. 
Um, and again, I deal with a number of resources and a number of scholars, and one of them again is John Kareed, and he has a Bible commentary on the Torah. He is an archaeologist, an amazing archaeologist, an Egyptologist, and a theologian. Uh, on uh, The Archaeological Study Bible from Crossway came out recently, I think a couple of years ago, and he was the lead scholar in terms of all the scholars, in terms of the contributions that they made to the Archaeological Study Bible. Amazing. This guy is really something else. So I'm reading from his commentary in the book of Exodus related to these verses. And he's saying, God requires a humble altar for sacrifice. Just an altar of earth. And we find a number of these in archaeology. You can find them at the ancient city of Arad, at Jericho, at Megiddo, Shechem, and other places. And the command here does not include brick-making. It seems as it's just related to loose dirt, earth, and perhaps field stones. Now another thing he brings up, he says, now we read it back there in the New American Standard, and God says that in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, in every place I cause my name to re be remembered. You're going to find this in most versions of the Bible, uh, in the Septuagint and the Syriac and the Targums. But it's very fascinating in the Hebrew, because what it actually says in the Hebrew is not this, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. What it says is, in every the place where I cause my name to be remembered. When we take a look at the Masoretic text, that's what it says. It doesn't get rid of the definite article, the. So, as John, as John Kareed is saying, in the Gesenius Hebrew lexicon, it says, it is a dogmatic condition in order to avoid authorization of several holy places. Sacrifices are to be offered to God and his worship. It's to be centralized in only one place. That is the sanctuary which is movable. So in other words, as they're moving to one place and another, then if they're going to sacrifice because God made his name known there, therefore they will go to the place. They will go to the sanctuary because this is the only place where they could sacrifice. That makes so much sense to me. And indeed, as we deal with other scholars, Christian scholars and Jewish scholars, and here we're dealing with Bible history as we're going into the archaeology and even into the Hebrew language to help us understand what's going on here. Now, they were to make an altar of uncut stones. Dr. Kareed says this is probably a polemic. What that means, it's a testimony against Canaanite altars. Canaanite altars were primarily made of cut, finished stone. These have been found at Megiddo, Nahariya, Hatzor, and other places. But here, what we have is in this immediate context is also aimed at prescribing the making of images. The Israelites are not to wield their tools in the construction of earthen altars, so they should not be enticed in making idols. 
Now an altar consisting of many field stones has been uncovered in the Israelite, ancient Israelite site of the Tel Arad. Now you can see that in this podcast. This is an audio only, but I basically published it as a video, even though it's only audio. And if you take a look, if you're looking at a computer or you're looking at your cell phone, you can see the picture of the altar of mud brick uncut stones at Arad. It probably was an illegal altar because at that time, the only legal altar was supposed to be in Jerusalem. The other final thing is the priests are not to expose their nakedness as they walk up the ramp. This is probably also a polemic. In other words, coming against the Near East cult practices. Pagan priests, okay, many times did their duties in the nude. Hebrew religion, God, requires modesty. God took, he took sex totally out of his worship in not only the tabernacle, but also in the temple. This is not like pagan worship. God is basically saying this obligates to the priest to approach adorned. Secondly, the law prohibits the inclusion of any sexual elements into the worship of Yahweh. Canaanite cults, for instance, their forms of worship promoted sex and fertility. Temple prostitution was a common practice used by the Canaanites to gain the gods' goodwill. They believed the acts of sexual promiscuity at sacred precincts would guarantee the fertility of their people and their animals. And don't forget, if you go to Deuteronomy 12, verses 29 through 32, very important, Deuteronomy 12, 29 through 32, God said, don't do what the pagans do. Guess what the pagans do? They'd have sex outside of marriage. God said, don't do what the pagans do. What do the pagans do? They do sex outside of marriage. When did God ever say that sex outside of marriage is a sin? He just did. Don't just read the Bible. Study it. They practice abortion. You realize that there's an ancient Egyptian papyrus dated to the 15th century B.C., at least 100, maybe 150 to 200 years before Moses, before Exodus. It was a medical book. And in the medical book, in that papyrus, it describes the procedure of abortion. They were doing abortions in ancient Egypt at least 100 years before Moses. Don't do what the pagans do. Don't do what the pagans do, as it says in Deuteronomy 12, 29-32. What do the pagans do? Abortion. When is abortion a sin? God just said it. Quite amazing set of verses, you guys. As I prepared and read and studied, I was in awe of what God was teaching us. Yes, us now, today. There's many articles on the fact that the churches are not teaching the Bible. I have a links to a few of those articles below this podcast. So I don't know what service you're using to listen to this podcast, but 
if you were on YouTube, for instance, there's a place called or see more or show more. If you click on that, it'll open up a window and you'll be able to see those links and some other information with regards to the podcast. That's what those links are. God shows us that we must not only read his word, but study it. The Lord, give, Lord gives us the model. This is amazing. I I've never saw, seen this before, but it's there. The Lord gives us the model in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four basic activities in the early church. And this is after the 3,000 had come to the faith on Pentecost. Fellowship, fun activities, getting together, all that type of breaking of bread, which doesn't mean Holy Communion. It means shared meals. They got together for shared meals, dinner parties, which also included the Lord's Supper. Breaking of bread is a Jewish expression for having a meal. They came together for prayer, but they were devoted to the teaching of the Twelve. We've got to refocus, you guys, on Bible study and to learning who God is, to fear him and in be awe of him. I suggest to you that Bible reading only, and I've given you some slight examples in here, is not enough. It's something we should do. No doubt about it. But we need to have good Bible study as well. And God says, as we learn to be in awe of him, as we learn to be in fear of him, this will help us or prevent us from sinning. Hopefully it's not too late. Like the second generation of Hebrews that didn't teach their kids. Their generation that turned from God. So there, we may say, Lord God, may there be a remnant of your people today who are willing to obey you and come into your word to be in awe of you and to be in fear of you. Because as you said, Lord God, as you prove yourself to us, this will prevent us from sinning and turning from you. Jesus lifted his hands and prayed a blessing over his 120 disciples the day he ascended to the Father. You can read this in the book of Luke, last chapter. And Jesus is high priest. And so any Jew who's reading that and said he lifted his hands, that means he's acting like the high priest. He's acting like the high priest because the high priest or a priest assigned, because the high priest maybe couldn't do it that day, would lift his hands and pray the blessing, the ironic blessing. I want Jesus to lift his hands over us and may he bless us in the same way that he blesses 120. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and may he give us his shalom. In the name of Jesus our Lord, Amen. I'll see you in Lesson 49. Shalom. Shalom.